You're so bleak, Mike. It's the holiday. I know. I get bleak during the holiday, too, but not that bleak. Do you like haunts? Yes. Do you like immersive theater? Yes. Do you like escape rooms? Yes. What's the safe word? My haunt life. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that festive stuff. Gross. Um, But thankfully, 2017 is just about over. And can can I just say, I want that thing to hang its head, slam the door behind it, do its walk of shame, never be seen again. Just go away, 2017. Uh, or as I would say, fuck you, 2017. Get the fuck out of here. Never come back. Fuck off. Okay, yeah. I, <laughs> I will. I, I, I second the fuck 2017. That's how we feel about you, 2017. It's been a really crappy year. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it hasn't. It seems like it's been a lot of people. It's not just like an isolated thing. It's overall, there's a sense of that 2017 has just been horrible for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, <clears throat> yeah, numerous, numerous friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, personal, medical, family. So, yeah, on many friends. So since it's Christmas, you know, Santa delivers packages. Yes. I mean, I guess you could say mailmen are the Santas of everyday life. Yeah. Um, but we got Box of Dread, and we actually have two to talk about because we got one uh, during the holidays, like in between the last time we recorded, and then we just got one yesterday. Yeah. So I have to compliment Box of Dread because they are upping the ante on this. And the last few boxes that they've sent have been awesome. Um, they've been going with themes, and they have like the actual box is you know colored. It has the Box of Dread logo. It's not just a plain cardboard box anymore. Uh, I know they hired a curator. Um, so it's not just a one-man show anymore. So all of these changes are definitely having a positive effect on the entire experience, like on the unboxing experience and the stuff that we're getting inside. Like especially, I mean, you haven't opened yesterday's yet, but wait till you... So Russell likes to have on-air excitement, quote-unquote. <laughs> and... Because I am the king of excitement. Uh, anyways. <laughs> you're rolling your eyes again. When you open that, you're going to hear, a, oh my God. And that's pretty exciting okay. and it's stuff that i don't know we'll we'll get to it but i it's haven't just, said that in a long time it's just one of those things where like box of dread keep doing what you're doing because it's been awesome so far there's definitely an improvement uh based on past crates so the one the last one we got before yesterday was a very fun one mm-hmm. because We've been playing a certain game and celebrate certain day of the month sometimes. Yeah. Uh, this crate's theme was Friday the 13th. And inside was some fun stuff. There was a Jason Voorhees bottle opener, <laughs> which you can hear. And But listen to this. Like, that's metal, and that just hurt. But it's uh, it's Jason, and he can open bottles, which... You know, for my bottles of root beer and your bottles of whatever form you drink formula. I don't know. Ginger beer now. <laughs> um, so not only that, but there was Friday the 13th ice cube tray. So that goes hand in hand with the bottle opener. Mm-hmm. And if your kitchen wasn't complete enough, 
there was also a Freddy versus Jason cookie cutter, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And then there was also a comic called Twilight Hotel uh, by Michael Aaron and Daryl E. Smith and Ra X. And it looks like Christopher Walken's head right there. Yes, it does. (laughs) On a platter. I haven't read it yet, but I will. Uh, Also, we got a DVD called Mischief Night and The Lucky Ones Die First. (laughs) And we got a print and it's a Trapper Keeper. Uh, I don't know if whoever listens to this remembers Trapper Keepers, but it says Trapper Keeper on the bottom and it's Jason on top because he's a trapper and he keeps you. So you can hear me unfolding it, unrolling it. And there's lots of blood and he's got an axe in one hand and a machete in the other. And it's all bloody and it's just what we like about Jason. <laughs> so, yeah. So this one was awesome. Yeah. This was a very, very cool box. Uh, so you want to go ahead and open the one from yesterday? Uh, okay, sure. And he's opening this box with a pen, everybody. Because it's the closest thing I have. <laughs> Why don't you use your wit? <laughs> It's not that sharp. Ayo. <laughs> All right. This is hard to do in this position. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> oh, my God. I see. I knew it. <laughs> what are you oh, my Godding about? This is so cool. It is a limited edition mini bust of Vincent Price mm-hmm. presented by Rue Morgue. Uh, which, by the way, if 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 you're a horror fan and you haven't discovered Rue Morgue magazine, uh, it's a must. Um, wow, that is that's wonderful. And we seem to have an Edward Scissorhands uh, blind box. And and again, I love the fact that they're including DVDs with these. Mm-hmm. It's like that's because it, it, that's what, um. What's a DVD uh, <laughs> for the younger listeners? Um, no, it, it's like you and Mike and I both quite often do the whole thing. of You, Mike, and I? You, you and Mike and I. <laughs> Who else is around here? It's going to be one of those podcasts where I'm just not incoherent. Great. Uh, the fact that, that you know they include DVDs quite often of either festival favorites or lesser known films, and it's a great way of discovering stuff. This is a film called Radius, uh, which... I flip over in the back and I literally see the Fantasia Fest and the Fright Fest uh, Fantastic. Uh, pardon me, the Fantasy Film Fest, Fantastic Fest. Uh, uh, yeah, I might be watching this tonight. Uh, yeah, that that's a high praise coming from all those festivals. So, and what else have we got buried in here, Mike? We have a comic book. And what is this? Oh, <laughs> wow, this looks like an exclusive. Yeah, turn it over. Ah, a certificate of authenticity. That's how exclusive it is. It's a special Box of Dread first issue edition of Ash versus the Army of Darkness. As you said, they have really upped their game. It's like the Box of Dreads are, are really, really, um, they're much more extravagant. They're so much nicer. And we have a signed card um, wishing us a happy Halloween um, from the uh, Rabbit in Red and Barry the Rabbit. Uh, this is a down. I believe this is a downloadable comic book, correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, yeah. Just lots of exploration to be done here. And the cool thing about Box of Dread is it's one of the only horror, if not the only horror box. Like I think there's some smaller ones, but you know, I Nerd Block had Horror Block, but Nerd Block went out of business. Loot Crate doesn't have a horror box, so like this is probably the biggest and best one right now. And if you know of any other horror boxes, let us know. 
because there's probably a bunch that we don't know about. And for more information on Box of Dread, you can go to boxofdread.com on Facebook, Box of Dread, on Instagram and Twitter, also Box of Dread. And Russell, when you were off visiting family and deliverance land, um, <laughs> I, I did... I am not from deliverance land. I am deliverance land adjacent. <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> I went to a new escape room from Escape Room LA, which Mm -hmm. we have been to all of their rooms. Yes. Um, There was The Detective, which was featured on Conan O'Brien, The Alchemist, The Theater, and and The Cavern. So they had four rooms, and we've done them all. Yeah, The Alchemist is actually one of my all-time favorite escape rooms. Uh, I love that thing. And each one that we've done... I feel got better and better. So mm-hmm. it started off with the detective and the cavern, and then they opened up the alchemist and the theater, which and, is another one of my favorites. I like the theater a lot. And when we did those, it was just like, whoa, it, it like, it was just like more and more. Yeah. And it, it was, you know, tradi- I don't know if there's a traditional escape room anymore, but you know, when you, when I think of escape room, like traditional escape room, I think of, you know, there's padlocks and number locks and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I think like escape room LA started getting away from those with, with all of, all of their rooms right. a little more and more. So it was kind of like seeing an evolution happening and their new room, the pyramid, it just keeps going. And I can't wait for you to do this room. I'm I'm so looking forward. I was actually going to try to do it this week, but unfortunately, events got in the way. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to form a team now, and I will hopefully be doing this right after the first of the year. Mm-hmm. So the pyramid, um, I mean, first, when you think of pyramid, I think most people, I know I do think of Egypt and mummies and stuff or like Aztec, that. Aztec, yeah. No, not or. It's what you're first thinking. Okay, all right. Damn it, Russell, you ruined everything. <laughs> Anyways, the pyramid is based on the Mayan and Aztec type of pyramids. Ah, okay. So, thanks. Um, <laughs> and so, if you listen to this and you ever saw Legends of the Hidden Temple uh, or a fan of any sort of, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark type of stuff, like, you will love this room. There are haunt moments in it. Um, there are puzzles that are really will make you want to punch walls <laughs> because it's like how do, how do we figure this out and ultimately you do figure it out and it, it's so satisfying like this is one of the most satisfying games that I've played because the puzzles at first seemed so hard and then finally something clicked and it's like oh this goes to this and this goes to this okay I know how to figure this out now and it's just fun and i will say that we did escape we had the fastest time at the moment mm-hmm. um i it might have gotten beaten by then this was maybe a week or two into it but yeah like again no number locks a lot of electronic type um unlocks uh so you have to put things in a certain order and something magically happens hmm. um and i love stuff like that right like, i love love it well i have a question for you um i went on facebook and watched the sort of little trailer ad that they have for this. Mm-hmm. The production design in that looks so cool. Oh, I was going to get to that. Uh, and it looks massive. Yeah. It first like the production, like just it's, this is probably their most beautiful room. I mean, really? the, I mean the cat, like the cavern is beautiful and alchemist, the alchemist, the alchemist is, is beautiful. Oh. This, this is another level. Oh man. Of, of yeah. 
Like I, that's why I can't wait. Um, and I believe the capacity in this room is eight people. We had eight people when we did it. At times, you will feel very crowded and feel like, okay, eight is too many. But then there's other parts where it's like, okay, we need eight. Oh, okay. Um, so if you do do this room, do do, um, make sure <laughs> that like if you do have eight people and you get cramped, realize that it's only temporary. And you will need every brain and every head that is with you to figure out some of these puzzles. I, I, I don't want spoilers, but are you saying cramped enough to, to be claustrophobic if that's an issue for some people? Um, there are times that depending on what you do could be an issue. Really? Uh-huh. I told you there was hot moments, man. Oh, excellent. I'm, I am so looking forward to this. I want to do this immediately. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's such a good room and they escape room LA does not disappoint. And, also, when you last time we were there, we went up through through like an elevator and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wait till you see the new lobby. Oh, cool! Yeah, that was another thing. It was like, well, when did this happen? Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I definitely, like I said, I'm trying to form a team because most of my friends who do escape rooms have already done this because I was out of town when everyone was doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to this a lot. Yeah, you'll love it. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. And for more information on Escape Room LA, uh, the Pyramid, and their other four rooms, which you should definitely do, um, go to escaperoomla.com, on Facebook, Escape Room LA, on Instagram, Escape Room DTLA, and on Twitter, Escape underscore room underscore LA. And you did something that we did but didn't talk about because it was a beta test and we didn't think we really should yeah we didn't think at the time we talked about it and we didn't think it was fair because we sort of did a beta test of something and then immediately following that beta test there was a group conversation where the creator of the event uh said that there were going to be some major changes so in that situation we usually don't talk about something or we indicate that hey like things probably have changed uh, and I'm talking about uh, Night Shift, which was part of Horror Escapes LA. It was in downtown Los Angeles and is apparently no longer running. I think it was uh, limited for the fall season. And uh, I believe I went to the second last time slot or third to the last time slot. Uh, and and of the run or of, of the, the night? run, I believe. Okay. So, um, well, and the way this happened, Mike, is a, a friend of ours had a ticket and literally called me and said. I've actually double booked myself. Do you want to take this ticket and try night shift again? And I was like, sure, because they said they were going to do changes. And um, what was your impression? Let's do a comparison, I guess. What was your impression when we first did it? See, and and this is why we didn't talk about it, yeah. because I don't think it's really fair, because I really didn't enjoy it. And based on the feedback we gave them, it wouldn't have been fair for me to say I didn't enjoy it when what I was saying were possibly was possibly going to lead into changes. Yes. So. Uh, and I felt the same way. I didn't particularly enjoy the beta test. Um, I thought there was two sequences in particular that were complete misfires. And particularly the, the, the climactic sequence was really really poorly done when we did it as a beta test yeah um i will say this to you mike they have improved it 
cool. It's like they did improve it. They did. It, they actually some of the changes that from that group discussion from our beta test, um, and for, I know they did other beta tests that same night. I know the changes were made based on that. A night shift was sort of a horror esque experience, and right before you go into night shift, the horror escapes LA. Whoever the the host was. Um, they make a sort of intro speech. And one of the things that they state, they state right at the beginning that we've taken elements of immersive theater, we've taken elements of haunts, we've taken elements of escapes, escape rooms, and we've mashed them all together to create this unique experience. Well, Mike, in the beta test and when I went back, I think that is the problem right there. It's the good and the bad of this event that they tried is... It wasn't enough of any one of those elements to know what it wanted to be. Right. Which I, we talked about actually in the group conversation about the beta test. When I went back, I will say this, they simplified it, which was, and it was definitely better than our first time through, but it, it still had its rough moments. Um, I went with a mutual friend of ours, Justin, who was in town that weekend. And uh, the one of the comments that Justin made after we were done was that in the first 10 minutes, he said, I I knew that we were literally being given busy work. Mm-hmm. It's like, I knew that everything we were doing was not going to have any effect on the event, on the story, on the plot. Like, literally, they were just padding the situation for the running time. And he said, I felt that 10 minutes in. And and the opening of this was you were supposedly showing up as a as a night shift and temporary night shift employee at a warehouse. Uh, the storyline is not strong. The storyline didn't make a whole lot of sense because somehow in the middle of the warehouse, there's also a house where a young lady lives that you encounter. Um, and the weird thing for me, Mike, is when we went in the beta test, there was this whole kind of subplot about spiders eggs. Mm-hmm. They dropped the plot but they kept the spider's eggs. Okay. So somebody in the first room makes reference to a box of eggs and it never pays off. And then suddenly later you're in a room with a huge spider web and a huge egg sack. And like, and that's it. It, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So the story was a bit weak. So, Here's the thing. Horrorscape LA does other escape rooms. And here's my opinion, Mike. I need to do something else by this company because I think this was an experiment. They stated it was an experiment of them trying to mash up various genres. And it didn't work very well for me, even the second time around. And I will say that the simplification worked overall. Uh, they took out some of the gross bits. Um, there was a, a sequence where I had to like dig in a bucket of vomit or fake vomit for a key at one point literally that became a couple inches of bloody water the second time i went through huh so that was less gross um the instructions we were given i will say part of our issue with our, the beta test was the first room there was someone yelling at you all the time to which yeah. to that point i was i just tuned the guy out and then at some point somebody realized that he was actually yelling clues at us, but we had, we were so annoyed by the yelling that we tuned him out. That character improved immensely. It was a different actor. Uh, and it was much more of an aggressive supervisor type. And I found the character a bit annoying, but I will say also very humorous. And I will say this was on the plus side of the whole immersive theater aspect of what they were doing. 
it was kind of funny to be in the like we couldn't do anything right and he kept criticizing us and mocking us and making fun of us which was slightly annoying but also he really did have a really good sense of humor so that was kind of cool however one of the tasks that he gave us we had to unlock he gave somebody a task and said search for eight items i i think was the number and then several tasks later, we unlocked something, and some of the items that that person had been sent to search for were locked in what we unlocked. So that person had been working on a task that there was no way he could complete. Hmm. So that becomes an iffy escape room motive. Like, don't tell me to solve a puzzle and then not give me the tools to solve the puzzle. It became very weird. And so what happened is the actor ended up having to lead us very heavily all the way we never felt like we were in control or had our own as some people use the word agency in the situation because it was so led and so controlled um my favorite part when we did the beta test and again going back was you encounter a young woman that is either trapped here being held against her will you're not sure based on the story and she kind of helps you in a couple of areas that was still my favorite part that was the creepiest part uh we did have unfortunately have a situation where a door got stuck and we we unlocked the door i tried the door we couldn't get through the door (laughs) and we heard the actress on the other side going so have you done everything (laughs) and then the actress was So have you unlocked the lock? Did you take the padlock off the door? Oh, my God. (laughs) And we were literally, yeah, yes, we have. Yes, we have. We can't open the door. And then you heard the actress trying to go open the door on her side, and she couldn't get it open either. So, and of course, the whole thing, and they're very clear at the beginning, don't force anything. So we we didn't want to force the door. So eventually the actress forced the door open. (laughs) which caused a little awkward, humorous moment. Uh, But I I really enjoyed the actress. Uh, I thought she was very good. The final sequence, which was a huge problem uh, when we beta tested, Mm -hmm. uh, they definitely improved that. The problem that we had is it was played for laughs in what was supposedly a horror scenario. And when I went back, uh, our group, they played it straight. They played it a straight horror and it worked so much better. And we had, there, there's a visual at the end, if you remember, Mike, where they tell you that you're supposed to like watch something happen through a pane yeah. of glass. And a lot of people missed it at the beta test because it wasn't well blocked or directed. And they did fix that problem too. Cool. Where like one character gets led behind the pane of glass, and they actually say a little obviously, "Watch the pane of glass." <laughs> it was a little on the nose, but um, now. I do have one really serious issue, and and this is another reason why I have to give Horror Escapes LA another try, is to see if I encounter anything like this. The ticket that was given to me by a friend, that I, that I purchased from a friend, was considered a full contact experience, which was a higher price, apparently, for the run of this show. And we knew that they were going to do the two tiers you know, during the beta test. Mm-hmm. Mike, nobody touched me the entire experience. I won't make it the obvious joke, but yeah, that's, I mean, if you're advertising that and charging a higher price. Yes. Because like we've heard that from a couple things this year. Yes, absolutely. 
It, it really didn't seem like there was a payoff. There was no payoff to paying a higher price for this event, and that is a serious problem if you're advertising something and not delivering and charging your patron for it. So the only contact I had was in the first room, the supervisor character sometimes touched us on, like like would put a hand on the shoulder, mm-hmm. poke us in the chest, you know, like move us physically a little bit. And then near the end, uh, we had to be, to get from one sequence to another, a blindfold was put on us and they did the classic, put the hand, put your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you. And she sort of led us and then took us by the arms and moved us into a very specific position. And then we removed our blindfold. That's not a full contact experience. That's just me being placed somewhere. Right. And Justin and I actually spoke after the event because he, he brought up the question like, uh, okay, if that was a full contact experience, how do they guide people without touching them? Because I would assume, even if it's not a full contact ticket, they would have to do the same thing. They would have to blindfold you and move you from room to room. Right. So I have no idea, after going through this event, what about it was supposed to be full contact. Like I said, I there, there's also, um, there's a couple of themes which uh, are horror-oriented. They're called Horror Escapes LA. I think you and I, Mike, both need to go back and experience something else from this company. Yeah, it makes me really want to after hearing this. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I know, but I, I it becomes this weird thing. Like, I see potential. I think this was a misfire, but I see potential. So I want to see what they do with a normal escape room, which is what they're advertising. This, I think the mistake here was them trying to mash up immersive theater, escape room, and haunt elements so they didn't know what they had and they didn't know what they wanted to do. You know, I think this was just a misfire. I, I want to give this company another chance. Mm. No. That's why you're you. Uh, <laughs> I'm always the optimist. So if you want to learn more about Horror Escapes LA and check out, like I said, Night Shift is no longer running, but if you want to check out their uh, escape room themes, they do look like they have some fun escape rooms, uh, horrorescapesla.com, on Facebook, Horror Escapes LA, on Instagram, Horror Escapes LA, and they also have a, a YouTube channel if you look up Horror Escapes LA. There's a lot of escape rooms on this podcast because you also went to New York and yes, did one. I did. And uh, I met some friends in New York. And we have a mutual friend, John, who lives in Philadelphia, who actually came up and we did escape rooms. And we went to a company called Comnata Quest Escape Rooms. And Mike, the reason I was drawn to this is plunking around on the internet, I had read a review of one of this company's escape rooms. And it was one of those reviews where I went, wait a minute, they do what? And I was really excited to try this. And um, what happened was I booked that escape room and John came up and met me and we had some dinner. We did the escape room and uh, right after us, nobody else had booked another one of the escape rooms. And so we were like, woohoo, let's do it. Because they were promising uh, scary experiences. They Mm -hmm. were promising. They have a wide variety. Come Not A Quest is apparently a company with escape rooms in multiple cities they have actually said that they are planning at some point of coming to Los Angeles. So I hope they do. Uh, the escape room that intrigued me was called Boxed Up, and it is tied slightly to the Sherlock Holmes story. The idea is that Moriarty, if you know your Sherlock Holmes mythologies, kidnaps you and a friend, and but gives you the chance to figure out a way to escape. And what they do, Mike, and I... 
I'm not going to give too much away because if you do your research on this escape room, you'll find out before you go in that this is what what you do. We had a, a lovely host named Bridget uh, at, at Come Not A Quest. And I was talking to her. I arrived early and I was talking to her a bit and, and we were talking about escape rooms in LA and differences. And, and I said that you know one of the common things in escape rooms in LA is people don't know how they should be zoned. Cities don't know how to classify them. Are they events? Are they theater? Are they arcades? Are they, you know, so, you know, and apparently, you know, that leads to certain rules. I feel in LA sometimes uh, that sometimes some, some of the escape rooms I think are a little conservative in how they handle patrons. One that isn't, which is one of our favorite escape rooms from this past year is Zoe in Los Angeles, which we love dearly. Uh, so I was talking about some of this and the, the come not a quest person, Bridget looked at me and she went, Oh, we have no problem with things like that here in New York. (laughs) And I think you'll understand in a few minutes. And I was like, what does she mean? And I will say this, John and I did two escape rooms. I'm not going to tell you how, when it was, it was done, but both of us found ourselves hooded, restrained in claustrophobic situations, being moved around in rather interesting ways, all to set the mood, to to get you disoriented. And I absolutely loved it. That's awesome. Just the fact that they were unafraid of like, no, you wanna you want a really immersive kind of like freaky, scary experience, we'll we'll try to provide one. I, I really liked that about them. Now boxed up, the plot is as I said, you and a friend have been kidnapped by kidnapped by Moriarty. So what happens is you find yourself handcuffed, being led through the dark. And when the game starts, and I won't reveal exactly how that happens, but when the game starts, you realize that you have been locked inside a very large coffin. And the goal of the game is to figure out how to get out of the coffin. Except here's the thing, your partner has also been locked in their coffin. So if each of you is locked in a box, how do you work together? How do you communicate? What technology do you have at your disposal? And your instructions before going in is look at everything, investigate everything, except you're in the dark. You have no source of light until you figure out how to create a source of light. Is that not a cool beginning or what? That's pretty rad. So, you know, John and I ended up, you know, handcuffed inside coffins and it took 45 minutes. We were very lucky. We escaped with uh, two minutes to spare. And I will say this, come not a quest in boxed up manages to fit in a couple of very specific jump scares while you're in that situation the way that you can communicate is very clever. Uh, I will say that we found ourselves missing a couple clues along the way. And then when you figure it out, it seems so obvious, but because you're in the dark much of the time. And then we had to figure out a way of how to count. If one person has light, the other person may not at times. So how do you share light if you're not, in the adjacent, uh, it, it just, it's really bizarre and interesting being in that situation. I loved this escape room. I think John and I had so much fun doing this. Uh, 
I would recommend to anyone uh, in th- this was actually their Brooklyn location that we went to. I you're such a hipster. <laughs> I think anyone who really likes dark and creepy escape rooms would really enjoy this experience. However, if you're claustrophobic, this may be a problem for you. And by coffin, I don't mean extremely tight. I could probably laying laying down at the beginning of the game. If I reached up. I would probably say the the lid was a couple feet above me. So so there was a little bit of space and it's space where you can turn around in the coffin. So you can actually, you know, switch your feet and head can switch places. So you like you can move around in there a little bit. But if you're heavily claustrophobic, this would be a really difficult experience, I think. But we enjoyed it. We uh we escaped and I will say this it's it has one of the goofiest clues and it's present from the beginning because you sense it and during the entire escape room for the entire 45 minutes john and i were we were cracking jokes about it and we were like cuz like why why is this here each of us had the same clue inside our coffin and we kept like, like we kept talking back and forth. Like, do you have this? Yes, I have this. Why do we have this? Doesn't make any sense. And then it's the last thing you use. It's the first thing you're aware of, and it's the last thing you use. And I, and I, I hope I'm not giving too much away by even saying that. But it was such a goofy clue when we realized how it played into the solution. And also, I'm, I'm also going to say that they find a clever way of using technology also in this. Um, cause you do rely on technology at one point. So definitely recommend that. And then we, uh, left that decided that if they had an opening, we would love to try another one of their rooms cause we had such a good time. So they have something called the city of ashes, which is actually inspired by the silent hill game and movie mythology. So we went in that was, that was an actually an hour long. And I will say another really nice production design on this there was some very creepy elements. The way you get into the room was a really nice mood setter. Again, unsettling. They put us in darkness for a little while, um, got us into position, and then the game started. And this one had a fascinating number of reveals. Like, oh, wait, this is bigger. Oh, wait, there's more. Oh, wait, we can go around that corner. Oh, wait, this unlocked. Uh, it just kept adding up and adding up and getting bigger and grander. And I really, really enjoyed that about this room. We, we did have a couple of clue problems. Uh, I missed a really obvious clue because um, you know how you're not supposed to force anything in an escape room? Yeah. I touched something and I thought a previous patron had broken it because it was like everything was solid. You know, everything that I was, I was looking around, I was feeling the walls. I was like looking for something and, and we knew that, that something had to open or give or do something. And I touched something and I thought it was broken. And so I ne- I didn't go back and touch it. Actually, that was the solution. And we ha- and when we got totally stumped, we asked for a clue and they said, go back and re-examine that area. And as soon as she said that as the clue, I went, oh my gosh, that wasn't broken. That was actually the solution. And And so there were a couple of things like that. That, that tripped us up. I will say there was some really clever uh, props in this one where you got to use and, and props to John. He made a connection that, you know me, Mike, I sometimes don't make connections in escape rooms. 
So <laughs> John made a connection that was like, as soon as he did it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? And um, it unlocked a whole like visual scare. It unlocked a visual clue. Really nice production design, playing off the, the lost children of the town, playing off the mythology of there's fire. At one point you encounter like a furnace room area. So there's lots of things that unlock. I will say this, um, even though there are clever use of props, really good horror vibe, there's some good jump scares even. I thought the clues and a couple of the puzzles were a bit odd in this one. And we totally got stumped, even though we solved everything in one of the rooms and we ended up with two props and we knew that we needed to use those two props together. We could not figure out what to do. And then when we finally figured it out, both of us felt that it was sort of a logic jump. Where and and it was it was the way something was written through us very badly. It was like okay, well that's that's the, it. Just it was a kind of a hiccup in a in a really fun room, um, and also a couple of the clues we felt were, were did the same thing. Even though we did get through it, and that one we escaped with only sixty seconds left. So uh, the ending of that was a little unclear. Because it ends with you're supposed to like there's like almost a dramatic reading at the end of it, which I thought was really interesting and very cool, except we were still in problem solving mode. So as it was going on, we were trying to figure out what the next step was. And actually, we had that was the ending. Uh, But again, good production design. Come not a quest escape rooms. We went to the Brooklyn location. We did boxed up in the city of ashes, found both of them highly entertaining, really fun. And the, you know, the small quibbles we had about clues and the way they were given or things like that completely overcome by the fun factor. And if you go to New York next year, I want you to go to Brooklyn and do boxed up. Trust me. We'll see. Trust me. If I have time. (laughs) You don't trust me, do you? No, it's not that. But I mean, (laughs) I have to fit in sleep no more. Then she fell and every other like New York thing that I feel like I'm the only person in California that hasn't seen yet. (laughs) So those come first. So, well, yeah, then she fell. Definitely. If you'd like more information on Kamnata Quest escape rooms, uh, we did the Brooklyn location. You can go to KamnataQuest.com. You can go to Facebook, look up Kamnata NYC for there is a Manhattan location and a Brooklyn location. And on Instagram, look up KamnataQuest.NYC and you'll find information and pictures. So one thing that I managed to do this year, which unfortunately, Mike, I know you wanted to and it didn't fit into your schedule. Yeah, I'm so bummed. Uh, actually, uh, we, we grouped all the escape rooms together, uh, right after I did that night shift the second time, we literally ran across town cause we only had 45 minutes to make it to blood alley Christmas at zombie Joe's underground theater. It's like a reverse escape room. <laughs> so, uh, again, blood alley Christmas, I think is becoming a very welcome Christmas tradition for horror and haunt fans and theater fans here in LA. Uh, they've done it a couple of years now, which really tells you something about the people in LA. <laughs> <laughs> this was truly, truly the, for me, the funniest blood alley Christmas. Interesting. The humor was off the charts. The crowd absolutely loved it. Had a wonderful time. 
um, as, since it's no longer running, I can say that the funniest bits for me uh, included uh, elves wrapping presents and finding them incredibly sexually aroused by the process. Joseph wrestling with the concept of immaculate conception <laughs> is one of the funniest bits I have ever seen at Zombie Joe's. Hands down, that moment where you realize what he's like, the internal struggle of Joseph of like, how do I come to terms with what my my child is? Uh, it, it was amazing. Um, it ended with uh, a conductor making use of a certain male body parts to create holiday music. Oh, finger? No. <laughs> no, not a finger. And that literally brought down the house. That was the finale. That was that was absolutely I am rarely that shocked at Zombie Joe's and you could tell the whole audience I think was just flabbergasted that we were actually witnessing what we were witnessing and that's compliments to a very brave cast and uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. Uh, and also, Blood Alley Christmas, you know that there's a dark side. And on the darker side, um, they have a rendition of Silent Night that was incredibly haunting and beautiful and amazingly well-performed. And I thought that was just... Um, Let's just say someone in the end remained silent forevermore. It was uh, it was amazing. And uh, something from our favorite piece from last year, Mike, which involved um, a, a woman who had been victimized and uh, a flower. Uh, they brought that piece back. Oh, nice. For Christmas? Yes, they did. Was she wearing like Christmas lights or no. a Santa hat or anything? No, she was not wearing anything. No. I, I know that, but like, <laughs> what what made it Christmassy? So, uh, nothing in particular other a, than the flower was red. Was it a poinsettia? Uh, no, a... because they're poisonous, dude. That, maybe that's how she died. Oh, okay. All right. I gotta think about the whole story, Russell. Uh, all right, I'm sorry. I missed that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was that, that piece came back. And, and actually, there was also a piece involving... Um, a very sexual interpretation of what to do under the mistletoe, which I believe was a repeat, which also I liked immensely. Um, and Mike, I, 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 you know, I like Christmas music. Okay. I, I love Christmas music actually. And, uh, you know, it's like my, my favorite Christmas recording of all time is probably a song called silent night, Christmas blue by the tractors. Um, if you like Christmas music, check that out. Um, Actually, the Tractor's first Christmas album is pretty damn amazing. Wow. I'm sorry. I digress. Um, <laughs> but uh, my favorite Christmas song of all time is probably Little Drummer Boy. And they did the absolute most sexualized version of Little Drummer Boy you could possibly imagine. What were they using as drumsticks? They weren't using anything as drumsticks. Oh. But, um... Well, there's an idea for next year, Zombie Joe. <laughs> um, yes, that was a very haunting, very disturbing version of Little Drummer Boy. But here's the thing about Bloody Alley. Uh, Bloody Alley? Bloody... <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was still it's thinking the, about the, Little Drummer Boy. It's the, wow. Oh, <laughs> way to make things awkward. Um, the, uh... I really do feel that this is... Something about Christmas and the commercialization as you know, and the, all the Christmas music that inundates you 
this is a really welcome poke at Christmas. This is just like, it's like, let's not take all of this so seriously. And I think that's what, what I needed when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I said at the beginning of this, I think this is a welcome, really welcome tradition that's forming. And you saw that with Justin too, right? So, uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it blew his mind. <laughs> I bet. A first Zombie Joe show being a Blood Alley incarnation. Yeah, yeah that's going to blow someone's mind. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he actually, I know, got a chance to meet a couple of the, the uh, cast members afterwards and we talked to Zombie Joe afterwards. And yeah, I'm, I was so happy to be there with Justin because literally he, yeah, I, I, he didn't know what hit him, I think. So in a good way, in an absolute good way. So. Uh, if you would like uh, to keep up with Zombie Joes, uh, look up zombiejoes.com. And on Facebook, look up ZJU Theater. On Instagram, Zombie Joes. And on Twitter, Zombie Joes. And it's time. <laughs> it's time? It's time. For The Lust Experience. Lust. Oh, yeah. Now, the Lust Experience had their mid-season event called Anointment. And this was an event that you could purchase tickets to and go. Um, You didn't need to know any of the ARG stuff uh, or anything. You could go in knowing everything or knowing nothing. You did this before me, and it was funny because I was like, I don't want to talk to you. Don't text me. Don't tell me anything. I stayed away from the internet. Like, yep. I mean, I already deleted Facebook because OSDM data collects um, and same thing with like Instagram and stuff. So I, those were safe, but I didn't even want to know if you liked it, if you didn't like it, like anything like that. So that's how I go into things now because you have to, because spoilers are everywhere. Like picture that buzz light, light your meme, like spoilers everywhere. <laughs> but anyways, now we both have done it um this was a one-time event so we can talk about it and so what did you think well uh, let's start with a little setup uh because yes you know they they stated very clearly like you can come in knowing everything or knowing nothing uh at the beginning of november they sort of did a plot twist where a video was released with several of the characters who we thought might be opposing forces came together and seemed to reveal that they were actually somehow working together. And in the parking lot before this event, you sort of got a recap of some of the characters. Um, They did sort of an information dump uh, with the character of Morgan uh, giving... He's not a character. Are we doing the same thing like about Addison? (laughs) She's not a character. Morgan is not a character. Okay, Morgan. And Morgan's a friend. Um, So, you know... Uh, wow, I I don't even know how to talk about this anymore. Um, but but I so going into this, I had the expectation that somehow that was going to be a factor or addressed, and I think that's my biggest confusion walking away from it, which we'll get to in a little while, probably. Right? Yeah, and one, so. Before we go into this, I, I like because I've heard so many different things. I heard what happened at the finale, or you know whatever it was, everything that I'm going to talk about was about my show, like sp- specific things that I've saw or experienced, not about things I read, not about other people's experience, but just mine. Um, because I think that's very important based on my show. Right. And I will do the same. And if we, 
need to make reference to because yeah, apparently on the finale, which happened the night after you went, um, apparently there was all of this additional information which was given to only one show, right? That you could only get into if you were invited or bought a second ticket to, right? Which, which I didn't, I wasn't confident enough to buy a second ticket before going in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, well, how do you begin? You begin. <laughs> um, it, it, it pains me to say this, but I didn't enjoy it at all. And like, I, and, and another thing too, is like, I'm, I'm not comparing this to Ascension, like, cause that's, that would be unfair, but it's, I, I just, I, I was thinking like every day after it, like what didn't I like? And I think the biggest thing, like there was a couple things that happened inside um, that really just took me out of the show and I'll get to that. But everything that we've learned over like the last like almost year, like, you know, nine, 10 months, all the characters, you know, characters, Russell, <laughs> all the people that we've known and learned about and have be like, had any sort of emotional investment like in their story in their progress didn't pay off at least for me you know like Noah's like seminars and wanting us to do better for me for my show he was he was a cameo at the end you know the same for my show as well and didn't seem to be consistent with a whole bunch of other stuff he said in the past right and you know and this is where why I'm saying this is only about my show because I read other shows where other there was other people. So in my show there was no Sarah Sinclair, there was no Michelle, there was no Joyce. Uh, I there was no Horace that I saw. Um, I barely saw Stephanie. I barely saw Sabrina. Um, I saw Mason like he was hanging around me a bunch, but like that's it. Like and the thing is with with like Stephanie and Sabrina they were they were also just kind of like cameos like it felt like a spin-off like using people that we've known and everything like the culmination up to this event everything that we saw like the video that you were just talking about you know like everything that happened with the OSDM and the data collecting and all of that this there was nothing you know and like I have faith that they know what they're doing and where this is going to end up because I remember last year leading up to Ascension we're like what the hell how does any of this make sense and it ended up making sense but the big difference is there wasn't a mid-season event intention that we had to pay a hundred dollars to see that to have it make no sense so that's my big thing is it just it, it was just it was a sex party that had a ceremony at the end of it. You know, there was nothing else like about what we've learned over the last almost year. And a fairly, for the most part, uninteresting sex party. That you weren't doing it right then. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Um, I, the thing that surprised me, and that's why I actually brought up the video, Mike, is because in my show, Sarah, like walked up at the very end and apparently hugged Noah. Like that was it. And Joyce wasn't around. I didn't see Horace if he was there at my show. And so this whole thing of all these characters coming together and possibly characters, uh, all these people coming together and possibly working together. I thought that's what this was going to be. And it didn't advance the story very much. 
if at all. Right. For me, nothing makes sense other than, again, we have read that info was given to the final group that does affect the story. But for the ticket price I paid, uh, the story didn't advance very much. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so yeah, I, I think I might have had a more positive experience than you, but I agree with everything that you just said. Yeah. And and it's just, you know, going back to like, you know, your whole thing, like there was no emotional investment. Like, like you had said, these, like we're hanging out with like a bunch of shitty people for two hours. Oh, I really disliked almost everyone that I encountered the entire night. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, it's really hard to become invested. Like, I, there was one investment I had, and that was with the singer, you know, like, who, you know, obvious for obvious reasons, reminds me of, like, Addison Jr. or something. Yeah, you know? absolutely, she does. Blonde hair, red dress, is there against her will. Like, you know, like, and, and her singing voice was incredible. Oh, yeah. But, like, she was the first person I really spoke to after the, the initial, like, get in there and you know, hear the spiel from, from the woman. Um, and her story, it it was just like breaking my heart. And then she, she brought me back to the stage and she sat next to me and sang me a song like right there. Like I was, I was invested. Like I was like, Oh my God, let, let me take you out of here. Let's go. Like I was ready, you know, like everything I used to feel about like when I was in Ascension, like let's rescue this person. Like, let's get him out of here. Like I did. I was like, let's go, let's go. No one's looking. Like I was trying to like help her get out, you know? And then once that was over, the rest of the night was just downhill for me. Hmm. Well, let, let's you know, and and sorry, like let me let me yeah. back up again. No, so I I said I didn't. I was telling my story from the show I went to, and the reason I'm doing that is because I've talked to other people who said they had Sabrina as their host, they had Mason as their host, like they like each of them like did introductions at the beginning. We I didn't have that, and I think if I did it might've been a little bit better because there was more of a connection with those people instead of a random person that I've never met before whose name I don't even know. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to throw that out. No, I, I think that's a valid point. Um, I did have Sabrina as the host. Let's talk about story. You show up at a parking lot. Morgan gives you a recap of who Noah Sinclair is, who Sabrina is. Which, by the way, that was really well done. Oh, yes. Like the, Absolutely. Especially if you go in not knowing anything, like that recap was great. Right. And it, it added a certain air of mystery to Morgan, who is already mysterious. So... Well... <laughs> So uh, it's the accent. He just seems mysterious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, sometimes I have to tell Morgan to repeat stuff because I can't understand the accent sometimes if he talks fast. <laughs> Seriously. Um, although I will say this. God damn, that cigarette annoyed me because it kept <laughs> blowing smoke toward me. <laughs> so anyway. Um, so and Morgan informs us when we arrive at the parking lot that we had bought tickets to an OSDM event that uh, the OSDM had promised that they were going to open their doors and prove how wonderful the organization was and they're a philanthropic organization or whatever, uh, because all of these horrible rumors about the OSDM are not true and that they were going to host an event which proved it. And Morgan tells us in the parking lot by literally collecting tickets and destroying those tickets, you're not going to that event. I've found a way to get you into a real 
OSDM event. Right. It's like, why are you making that decision for us? Maybe we want to go to the other event. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also, okay, if you want to digress there, um, the way that he said that this happened is you're, the, a van is going to show up and take you to the event. Now, it's not the original driver. The original driver is in the trunk of my car. And if you notice the mark on my face, he put up a fight. So I was like, so to prove how horrible this organization is, <laughs> you have either kidnapped or potentially murdered someone and stuffed the body in your trunk to prove to us that those guys are the bad guys? That's BOS for you. It just, We're going to force you to realize how good we are. I was scratching my head necessary. in the parking lot. Before this whole thing began, I was already scratching my head going like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I'm going to go with it. So we supposedly were going to the real OSDM event. And here's the thing. We were talking earlier about how most of the people we encountered that night were ugly, nasty people, uh, except for some helpless gals here and there. Um, well, if if this was supposed to prove to us how nasty they were, you're using really questionable tactics. And if we were supposed to have an evening with nasty people to prove how nasty this organization is, I just want to walk away. And that's how I felt at the end of it was I'm confused and I don't know why I'm here. Mm -hmm. So we get in the van. And by the way, we should also uh, point out that we were all made to wear masquerade masks. Yes. To supposedly hide our identity. So we go there. We're frisked. Uh, we had been told not to bring cell phones. Morgan told us to bring our cell phones. This was also something that was really confusing in my show was the whole cell phone thread line didn't work at all. Oh, I'll go into a story about that. They, it, that's what took me out of the show. Uh, and that, I, that happened, what, like a half hour, 45 minutes in? Oh, probably less than that. And here, and here's why I think I know the timeline because of something else that happened. Um Oh, actually, I can't tell you. It was half an hour in. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that. Uh, because they were running half an hour late for my group. So so he said, bring your cell phone, even though they told us not to. Uh, so we were frisked at the door, and then one by one we were let in. And did you encounter the couple when you first walked in? Yes. Okay. I walked in, and there was a small like three or four steps that you had to walk up to get into the building once inside. After the frisking... Uh, we were made to stand single file. We were given hand signals and gestures that was supposedly a code that to make sure that you were one of the insiders. And each one of us was given one of those gestures during the whole frisking process and, and being made to wait outside. So when I got in and I walked to the top of the stairs, there was a couple making out heavily. And they turned as soon as I got to the top of the stairs. She grabbed me. And immediately was like, I want you to fuck me. I want you to fuck me and I want you to fuck him. I want you to fuck both of us. I want you to fuck <laughs> now. I want you fucking us now. Like immediately. And she was aggressive. He was, he had a really bad case of the giggles for part of this. He was just giggling. And then I saw him pull out a prescription. <laughs> he saw him pull out? No. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, I saw him pull out a prescription med uh, container and he popped it open and shoved a pill in my mouth. And she, I, she looked at me and said, swallow it. 
and I and I kind of gesture because I, I'm looking around and there's a bar nearby. Mm-hmm. I see the bar, I see tables, and there's a lounge singer. And I I don't mean that as an insulting way. There yeah. seems to be like a lounge with some couches and stuff over at the other end of the room. And I literally kind of motion for something to drink because the the pill was rather large. And she just looked at me and went like, swallow it, swallow it like a big boy. <laughs> Oh, wow. And I was, uh, okay. And so, and this was one of those trust issues. I was like, okay, this, uh, I, I'm going to trust this. I'm going to go ahead. And I swallowed it. And you woke up three hours later with, without <laughs> pants. Uh, well, she came over and she had a scarf and she wrapped the scarf around the neck and she tightened it and began choking me out. And as she's choking me, she's walking me backwards toward the lounge area. And she kind of threw me toward the lounge. You're like, you need to go take a seat. And that's how I wound up in the lounge area. So, Mr. Safety Guy, with that, both of those things happening, did, were you told a safe word? No, I was not given a safe word. And based on those things, do you think somebody might have wanted to use a safe word? In that point, I think some people would. I it, Nothing was that I couldn't handle. And the weird thing is, you know, Mike. Because you're a big boy. Because <laughs> I'm a big boy. Uh, you know that I have actually refused to ingest something inside a haunt. Mm-hmm. I have too. Because I didn't trust the the haunt. And here's the thing is like, I, I sort of had built up a level of trust with the lust experience at this point. I was like, okay all right, I'm going to do this. I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to do this. It was a choice. I could have literally not swallowed the pill. I could have, you know, I could have done several things to get myself out of the situation. Um, And I chose not to. But you're right. Some people, I don't know if anybody refused. I don't know if any, you know, if there was a issue with any patrons. I haven't heard of any. The choking thing would have freaked some people out. Because she was aggressive with me. And I have no problem with that. Actually, it was it was very disorienting. It was intimidating as hell. And I say that in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Because it, it really, really unnerved me as I went to sit down and listen to the singer for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. What was your encounter? Um, almost the same thing. I walked in and they were there and, and the woman came up to me. She's like, do you want to fuck? And I was like, no. And so she's like, what? Like, I guess, I don't know, maybe caught her off guard, but she's like, oh, we got to fuck. And like, he's going to watch. And, and then, yeah, he was, he was laughing as well. And then, um, I wasn't given a pill, which is good because that wouldn't have happened. Um, and they brought me over to the seating area. So after we sat down, a young man came and asked us if we had our cell phone and made us turn it off, which again was like, oh, I thought nobody was going to have cell phones at this event. So that was a weird little hiccup. Um, and then Sabrina, uh, dressed sort of, well, I was, it was almost business casual, (laughs) you know, jacket, uh, business tight skirt, uh, but only like a black bra underneath. And she came over and she became our host. For right. my show. And with my show, it was the woman, I believe it was the woman who dipped your hands in the wax in Ascension. And I remember her from going through the second time when they took us behind behind the scenes. Uh, okay. So Sabrina was the person who, she welcomed us and she sort of 
I also want to say one thing about Sabrina. Um, her makeup was much harsher in appearance, like darker colors than I've ever seen her wear before. And made her makeup job made her look harsher mm-hmm. than I've ever seen her before, which I thought was an interesting choice. She explained the rules. One of the rules being whenever she rung a bell, we would all gather around her. And she said at times, you know, you'll be roaming. You'll be enjoying the evening. You know, welcome to this, you know, soiree, whatever. And um, she pulled someone from our group, which you know, in my show, it was actually someone we know, um, Rizzo. Um, and t- challenged him to remove a piece of clothing and make it interesting for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very daring and he immediately, you know, pulled the jacket and shirt off and, uh, and she looked at the rest of us and she challenged each of us said, I want everyone to remove a piece of clothing, keep it interesting. And at that point I had my phone in my pocket and I wasn't sure what the attitude toward the phone was. So I was fumbling with my phone, trying to get out of my jacket pocket into my pants pocket. And I was, and Sabrina looked directly at me. Keep in mind that we did have masks on. But she looked directly at me and said, and what is taking you so long, sir? <laughs> because I, I was like fumbling and, and eventually I got the jacket off and I started to untie the tie. And she had said, you know, make it more interesting than a tie to a couple of people. Uh, also, during that time, there was an, a really, really beautiful African-American woman uh, present in the room. She had a uh, sort of a gold choker and ordained with very beautiful jewelry around her neck. Do was she appear in your show? Uh, bald? Yes. Yeah. Um, she came over and sat next to me uh, while all of this was sort of unfolding and, and the singer was singing and before we really got into it. And it was very interesting that she began caressing my leg and running her hand up my inner thigh. And, and because we weren't supposed to touch, I chose to mimic her on my other leg. So... I literally, like, my hand movements, I was caressing myself the way she was caressing me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And she realized what I was doing, and she looked at me, and she smiled. And, you know, this was sort of after we were enjoying the song, and we'd been given the instructions. And so she reached over, and she took my hand, and she held my hand. And she smiled at me and she sort of leaned in. And that was right about the time when Sabrina rang the bell the first time. And we were instructed to go over to the bar and grab a drink and mingle for a little while and get comfortable. So that is how I ended up in the bar area. So for that scene, for me, um, the woman called up someone that we know. And here's the thing. It's kind of like. I'm a big fan of say what you mean and mean what you say. So when you say like everybody remove a piece of clothing and then when people do that, it's not good enough. Yeah. That annoyed me. You know, like, so the person that, that was called up to the front, it was a female and, and you know, she removed like, like her shirt or something. And the woman was like, no, let us see your breasts. So, So like she had to remove her other shirt and she was down to her bra and like, she looked so uncomfortable. Like she's someone that does like immersive theater and and I think some haunts, but not, I don't think to the level where like this is the norm. And this is what, 10 minutes into the show. Yeah. And like, I, like I felt bad, you know, because just like the look on her face, like killed me because it was so like, I don't, 
want to do this. I thought we were going to cover this later in the in the conversation because I I had similar feelings at various times during the show. Mm. I thought and and look, I've said it before on this podcast, anyone who knows me and there are reasons I have this feeling. Like if I am buying a ticket to your event, do not try to humiliate me in any way. Right. And I have had an issue with shows that have elements of humiliation. If it's if it's justified by a storyline, because, hey, look, I've done blackout shows where there was an element of that in the storyline, and I had no problem with it. Yeah, I had to spank you. <laughs> well, actually, I had a problem with that particular blackout <laughs> show because that particular blackout show was absolutely horrible. Yeah. So that's what I felt, was at times I felt like they were trying to humiliate the people who bought, what, a $130 ticket to support them. And I thought it was disrespectful, unkind at the very least. And I know that people were uncomfortable by it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and there, you know, there's going to be, of course, it's supposed to make you feel something. It's supposed to make you, you know, feel uncomfortable. But I think a lot of people, but you they just... don't want to feel that. They want to feel like emotion that, it... that isn't like... I want to crawl into a hole and die. Yeah, and but judging from what you just said, it sounds like that moment for that woman took you out of the show completely. Uh, no, that happened a little like a little later. Like oh, it, it okay. didn't it didn't take me out of the show. It just it made me feel for that person. You know, okay. and, and you know, and maybe maybe that's the whole point of the show. We're not supposed to feel for the for the you know, quote unquote characters were supposed to feel for each other. And if that's the case, it worked because I felt horrible for her. Mm. We'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, later in this conversation, I think we'll, we're going to touch on that subject again. Um, so, so after that you ended up going to the bar or. Yeah. And that's where I started talking to the singer, which I, I said uh, a little earlier. Okay. Um, I, on, on my way over to the bar, I made eye contact. There was a, a guy sitting at a table, like suit coat. I think he had a scarf, uh, longish hair. And I swear, Mike, I don't know why, but he, I looked at him. We made eye contact and he looked, you get, you know, that feeling of like, don't I know you from somewhere? Mm -hmm. I had that feeling about him. And as I got closer, you know, we looked at each other for a couple of seconds and I just realized like, no, I, I don't think I know him. I, I, I'm not placing him. So I, I kind of broke eye contact and went to the bar to get a drink and moments later I felt a hand on my shoulder and it was this guy and he introduced himself as Harry and he took he kind of took charge of me and he he said what are you drinking he he literally like split the crowd and went to the bar got my drink pulled the you know like gave me the handed me the drink and uh and pulled me over to a table and he immediately was like, so uh, what brings you here? So what's your fetish? What are you into? What turns you on? And so, and so I kind of like, I, I, I answered honestly, but I also kind of, I think it came across as innuendo. Mm -hmm. So I think he took it as innuendo and he launched into this story about how, oh man, well earlier this evening I saw a scene that was so extreme, and he started watch. He he started the story of he had witnessed a kink scene, uh, featuring a Japanese woman kicking. No, pardon me, a Thai 
woman kicking a Japanese guy uh, in the balls <laughs> repeatedly over and over. And he was screaming in pain. And it was, and there was this, what he thought was a Swiss couple watching, you know, from the wings and seeming to get off on it and enjoy it. So he was describing this whole like ball busting scene that the, he had witnessed earlier. And I, and I told him, I said like, that's, that's too extreme for me. I don't get into that kind of pain. I, like, and, and so we were, we were talking about that and, it sort of segued into this conversation about the international mix of people represented there at that event. And he really stressed and he wanted me to understand that it was such a mix of different cultures that were represented there tonight. And then he led me into a conversation that he was a musician. His last album had done really well. He started talking about his album and the story that he told me that I I posted this on the on the Lust Experience forums recently because I hadn't heard anyone else say that this information had been given to them by Harry. Before his last album, he said that he was not present. He was high when it was recorded. He thought it was a horrible album, but it was successful. Before it came out, he I guess out of concern, uh had a conversation with some very powerful people. And he said, you know, how much do you think this is going to make? Do you think it's going to be a hit? And he really stressed to me that their response was a very specific monetary figure. And he said, wouldn't you know it? The album came out. And when they finally wrote me a check, it was that exact dollar amount that he had been quoted. So he, he was stressing me like, do you see the power do you see the worldwide power that they could predict almost to the scent how successful or unsuccessful a creative endeavor would be in multiple markets globally? So he was he was really trying to stress the whole international influence. That kind of reminds me of the, the stock thing. Uh, yeah, and I actually I mentioned that on my forum post was like the, the idea that they, you know, could control a market, a stock market in, in any country. So he stressed that um, we talked a little bit about fetish stuff, not very much. During this time, somebody came up and started giving me a back massage, and it was one of the three guys in the masks. I don't know who it was, though. Mm -hmm. And then Harry kind of like, we <laughs> we tried to write a song. Uh, he was like, give me a drum beat. And I was drumming on the table, and he was singing. And the he he made this comment about, oh, this this mix, this mix of flesh and fluid. I'm here because I want the creative juices. I'm about to go into the studio again. And he was looking for creativity in all of this sensual stuff around him. Which, by the way, while this was going on, there was a, a woman in white, draped in white cloth, kind of sensually dancing in the bar. I don't know if that happened at your show. Yeah. Um, and she was like behind him in my eyeline. So I kept noticing her. And so he, he said, I think that's the name of my new album is Flesh and Fluid. Because look at look around you. Look at you see around you. And I said, no, it's like the name of your next album has to be International Mix of Flesh and Fluid. Because that's what you're talking about. That's what you're responding to. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and it could be epic. It could be a concept piece. And we start talking about that. He starts to compose a song. And the disappointing thing was that uh, the only thing he could think of to rhyme with fluid is druid. <laughs> and he said, like, no, that's not going to go anywhere. And so uh, so when he asked me what I did oh my for God, a living... You could do Cupid. So... <laughs> that would be perfect. Okay. Druid and Cupid? No, fluid and Cupid. Fluid and Cupid. That rhymes. Okay. I didn't think of that. 
So um, that's what I'm here for. Okay. So uh, Harry was the one that came up with Druid, and he was like, no, 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 no. So he asked me what I did, and when I said that I work with children's programming, he got a kick out of that. He was like, okay, wait, you you create kids stuff, and you're here in this place? <laughs> I said, yeah, I am. And he's like, oh, you're a creative type, so we can talk. And we talked more about music, and we talked about songs, and then you know, we talked about his new album cover. I pitched him an idea for his album cover and he liked it. And so, and it kind of, then it kind of broke, he broke away and a woman replaced him and, uh, introduced herself to me as Tatiana. And, uh, she, when she approached me, she seemed a bit frustrated and she was frustrated with her job, telling me that she had been hired for a job for a few weeks and it had gone on. It turned into something, for months and now she'd been with this group for a couple of years, but she didn't seem happy. And so suddenly she turns to me and she says, tell me how you lost your virginity. And I was like, ah, uh, okay. I was like, I haven't yet. <laughs> oh, I wonder. Oh, I wonder if anyone did. Oh, that would be interesting. That would be a, a curveball. Yeah. That would have been a good move. Definitely. Um, and I, I, and actually the, oh, I don't want to go into this. I did tell her the story of how I lost my virginity. Well, save that for another podcast. Uh, yeah. And, um, or never. It, it was, uh, <laughs> let's just say there is some very humorous elements to that story. That's shocking. <laughs> so, um, and just was like, as I was like, uh, getting near the end of the story, uh, somewhere during that story, a woman started to scream and run across the room. And I, asked i said wait should we like is there anything we should be doing should we help and she's like no no don't worry about it It happens all the time so uh come to find out i believe our friend justin had been led into a closet by that woman and again i i'm i'm this is hearsay for me i was just told this later that um like she ran screaming from the closet as if to fake the security people out and the security people questioned Justin as to what he had done wrong. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because several people had similar experiences apparently. Um, But I asked if we needed to help this woman who was screaming and she's no, 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 it happens all the time. And right about that time, Sabrina rang her bell and we all gathered at a doorway leading deeper into the building. And she asked, uh, hold on, let me, Oh, okay. I didn't, if you right. want to hog the whole story, no, time, no, no, that's no. fine. No. Um, so one of the things I, I spoke about earlier about how I was having a conversation with the singer. Right. And but what I didn't mention was the story she told me. Um, and the reason I said, you know, I joked saying, oh, she's Addison Jr. is because, you know, she came to L.A. from, I believe, Oklahoma to try and start a career. Wow. She met up with these people who made her do, quote unquote, things and videotaped it. And sent and basically blackmailed her and sent the videos to her father, who then committed suicide based on watching those videos. Oh, it's horrible. So you can understand why there was some emotional investment in, yeah. in her. Um, so, yeah. And then her singing to me, it was just like, it was like hard eyes emoji. You know, it was just like, oh, my God, like this poor girl. And um, but then in the bar, I had a similar thing happened to me where the woman came up to me um and she's like who do you 
most want to see naked here and it was like oh, this person this person i guess and then she asked me to explain uh how i lost my virginity hmm. um and while i was doing that someone came up behind me and gave me a back rub as well um and then that and then that leads to the doorway when the the host um she was the spanish woman uh she rang her bell so we went up there so this is so i'll take it from here if so like because i know you wanted to just um, start that part of it yeah, for your ahead. night. But so this is, this is where things started going off track for me. Um, we gathered there and there was a, a man like a, you know, a big man, a tough guy. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that as in like, Oh, you're a tough guy, but he like looked tough. He was big, muscular. Um, and he asked who had the strongest will. And I've raised my hand because you know, I'm straight edge. I don't drink, do do drugs, you know, all of that. And so I was like, okay, I like in my mind, my will is pretty strong because I can, I can commit to something. And uh, he asked me to take my phone out if I had one and go to the call log. And so I did that, went to the call log, gave it to him. And he's like, call this person. And at this point it was after midnight. Um, and the person he chose, cause you know, you were on there. I would have no problems calling you. Um, you know, but you probably were the only person, um, because it was, you know, it's around, it's a week before Christmas. So there was definitely some family in there or some friends, but yeah. And, there... and when I did this, just to jump in, I was, it was 1230 cause I actually checked the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I have a, I have a job where that does not have landlines. It's a very, uh, like new school type of company. Uh, we only use cell phones for my job. I need to talk to a lot of vendors on my cell phone because we don't have office phones. So I would say 80% of the calls in that call log were vendors, professional career type of people that I need to keep professional like ties with. Right. And he chose one and it was a vendor and he's like, call this person. And I was like, no, like I'm not calling that person. That's one of my vendors. Like I'm not calling them. Like it's after midnight. They're going to have no idea. They didn't sign up for this. They don't know what I'm involved with in my personal life. Like, no, I'm not doing it. So he, he, he started to like, you know, it was like, no, you need to call him. And I'm like, no. So they, he chose another person. It was another vendor. And I was like, and he's like, call this person. I'm like, no, like I'm not doing it. Like, and then, and then he started like, you know, talking, talking crap to me. And I was like, look, you asked who had the strongest will. Like, this is my will saying no to you. How is that not having the strongest will? And he gave me my phone back. And then everybody around, like in the, like the people that work there are like, oh, what a pussy. You're a little bitch, blah, blah, blah. And at that point the junior high insults are what took me out of the show. I was like, you know what? This is a show. This is, this is not real anymore. Like this is like, you're pathetic. If you're calling me a bitch and that you're going to make me my, my bitch because I didn't call someone like I'm done. And at that point, the rest of the show was just like, I had no emotions in it. I was bored. Like it was just, and there's more and there's more. There's like another thing that happened right after this. It was like the one, two punch of like not caring. Um, actually, it's interesting you say that because that sequence is where my show began to derail. Um, they called us over to the door and Sabrina came out and asked who had their phones on them, which again, the, the phone track doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like whether or not we were supposed to even have phones. Um, and my phone, I was, I, I, when I'm asked to turn my phone off at an event, I actually turned my phone 
off. I don't put it in airplane mode. I don't put it in silent. I actually turn the entire phone off. So I had my phone on me and I took it out and the screen was blank and a couple of other people took their phones out and you know they they started the same thing. They chose someone near me and and you know she said she, she said turn it on. And so I turned on my phone and they picked someone near me and they started doing the same thing of like call this person. And they called someone and got a voicemail and their instruction was you're going to tell them some deep dark secret about yourself. And I'm and that's why I actually checked the time when as my phone was powering up and that's why I know it was about 12:30 when this happened. And as soon as I realized that they were going to call somebody, I just put my phone back in my pocket. Because I'm in the same position, Mike. I first of all, I bought the damn ticket. Mm-hmm. I am there for your event. Do not hassle people who are part of my life and did not sign on for this. Right. Especially at 12.30 a.m. in the morning. It's like as soon as somebody was made to do it next to me, I got pissed off for them mm-hmm. because I thought it was uncalled for and I thought it was disrespectful. And then they made someone else do something along those lines. And... uh I have also heard that in another show, other people did say no to this. So, and and again, it I, I, what you said, it took me out of the show. It was like, okay, wait a minute. I'm the one who bought the ticket. Why are you trying to involve other people in our life? Like, wait a minute. Like, this doesn't make sense. Because now you've turned it into, wait, I bought a ticket for a show. If this isn't the show, then you're just being assholes. Yeah. and And the funny thing is, too, and like... You know, the 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 guy was like, I'm going to find a dress and make you my bitch. And I'm like, I like what? Yeah. And like I looked at him like I had a mask on and I just rolled my eyes. And like, I hope he saw that through my mask. Like, and that's not I'm not saying that to be like to be tough or anything. But like, I want I hope he saw that in order to know how ridiculous it was. Yeah, I, I agree with you that that sequence took me out and. Here's the here's the thing which I said earlier about the pill it was like I made a choice to sort of trust the lust experience event at that point when I swallowed the pill they broke the trust with the phone mm-hmm. that was a violation of the paying patrons trust and something which they have said sort of out of game in the past actually. It has come up on this podcast of why doesn't the community trust this experience? Well, it's moments like that. Why would I trust them? And I want to trust them. Yeah. But yeah, that 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 scene I felt was completely disrespectful. That's the word. Well, and you know, if we go back to the story point, like what did that have to do with the story? I have absolutely no freaking clue what it had to do with the story. Because remember, we were sort of undercover. Yeah, at at a sex party. So yeah, they want us to call people. Yeah, it just it, yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. So after that, uh, that was we went into a kind of like kitchen slash dining room area. And you did you sit around the dining room table? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, did that. So at this point, Sabrina, our host, came and. Uh, we had to connect, look at the person next to us in the eye and connect with them uh, and tell them an intimate secret about ourselves. And that was followed her by her shifting several people around. 
and um, we were asked to tell another person what clothing item we would like to see them remove. Or they could choose their own. Oh, no, we were not given that option. I, we were. And of, of the not funny, but funny thing is, is the person that was my person was the person I spoke about at the beginning who had to get up. Oh, man. <laughs> so, well, that's interesting because, no, we weren't given that choice. And as a matter of fact, there was some ridicule going on, you know, like, you know, like, oh, come on, not the shoes. That's boring. And again, it's like that that weird edge of, are you trying to humiliate us? It was so negative and such a turnoff. Yeah. And it ran throughout the entire night. Uh, the other thing that happened in that area was, um, you know, oh, you know what? Actually, you participated in something, I think. Why don't you continue telling the story? Uh, where I was asked to stand up? Yeah. Yeah. So was... that happened to someone else. So I was asked to stand up and they had... I'm not going to call them handlers, but, you know, whatever they were, they were handler-ish. There were these women in white dresses, um, and the the blonde in the mask, I believe... Yeah, was there there a blonde also in addition to Sabrina? Yes, there was, and I believe they called her Sky. Okay. No, 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 no. Like this person, Sky was the 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 girl. Um, there was another woman, very like aggressive and like takes taking charge. No, there was not. Okay, that. Yeah. I I I think she was in Ascension. Okay, um, but might have been painted up. Okay, so she was there, and so she had Sky come over, who was one of the the handler type girls, and made her undress in front of me, and. One of the things that I take pride in is I am very respectful most of the time when it comes to awkward situations for other people. So when this girl was undressing, I stared her in the eye. Like I didn't break eye contact. I didn't look down, didn't catch a glimpse, like nothing. Stared at her in the eye. And after she undressed, I was asked to go into this this like kind of like side room and it was uh like a dressing room but there was a like it was like kind of like a green room i guess there was one of those like makeup uh mirrors with the light bulbs in it oh, okay uh, there was a fridge a couch or chair i think um sounds like a green room yeah yeah i went in there uh sky was in there the blonde i mentioned and then mason came in and the the blonde woman was like oh i thought this was going to be a private conversation but come on in so i i'm guessing mason wasn't supposed to be there um and then she started belittling me, saying, like, how dare I look at her her chest and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what do you No, I didn't like. And so it was a bunch of like, I saw you look and I was like, no, you didn't. And and then Sky got in. She's like, I saw you look at my tits like uh, and I'm like, oh, my God, no, I didn't like I didn't. Um, so that was kind of like this, the, the, the one two punch, like after the phone thing, this I was like, in my mind, because I was taken out of the show is like, where's your improv? Like where, like in Ascension, when I met Sam in one of the rooms the second time and I asked if you remembered me, remembered killing me, like off the, right off the bat, she's like, I know I didn't kill you. You know, she went into that whole spiel, which I had talked about, which was one of the highlights for me. But like, I, like it didn't change. It was like, it was, it was a script to me. It was like, okay, you have to say this. Like, even though I didn't. Uh, so I, what you're saying is that they didn't adjust to the fact that you did not look at this woman in front of you yeah. 
and they didn't deal with the reality. Yeah, is that was is that what you're saying? Yep. Um, and then there was um, there I there was some something I misheard something. Um, I don't know exactly what was said, but I thought something was said about having to kiss someone or else they would throw me out or they would safety me out quicker than than ever. Or it, there was something about that. So what I heard was something that if I didn't kiss her, I would have to get thrown out, which was not what they said, apparently, because they made fun of me for it. But whatever. Um, and I said, like, look, if me if having to kiss her means I ha- you have to kick me out like then kick me out because i'm not kissing her and so then they just started laughing it was like what are you talking about she's mine i don't share and then like mason was like mikey i don't know what's why would you think you could kiss her and i was like i thought that's what i heard i miss i misheard her i'm sorry you know so like that part didn't bug me but it was just like everything that happened in that room was just kind of for me a train wreck for my for my show so when you left that room where did you go um, I believe I was, something had started happening in the dining room and I, I believe everyone was lined up Okay, and I so, got into line. All right. So what happened with, like, I don't remember if the guy was led away that way in, in our group, but, um, I think he was. Mm-hmm. And what happened is the um, strawberries were brought out. For the dining room table, I had that before I went in. Oh, I okay, and and I think we were we were told to feed the strawberry to the person that we had told to remove a piece of clothing. Mm-hmm. So some of that, I I don't know. There and there is something very you know there is a sensual aspect to feeding someone. So I think that's what they were going for, but it was really cut short. Uh, so it didn't. I I felt it didn't. I didn't felt it like I don't know why I was asked to do that. It was like, oh, feed a strawberry. Oh, let's go over here, and then they started moving us around um, to the area with the chairs. And it, I think there was going to be some questions asked or something in that in that time period. But almost immediately, a man came in, sort of chasing a Japanese woman. Okay, I saw that. Okay, and in our in my show, Sabrina tried to calm him down because the guy was really being a jerk to the woman. And he obviously was a person of importance because Sabrina was trying to trying to chill the situation a bit, but not make a big deal about it. She called him counselor. So I'm not exactly sure what kind of a title that would be in that situation. The guy demanded that a woman in our group and myself follow him and he led us with the Japanese woman down a hallway and into a bathroom. Uh, this led into a sequence which, um, once inside, we were told to like like stand over to the side. It was a huge bathroom, by the way, <laughs> massive. And uh, he began to just verbally abuse and humiliate the Japanese woman in front of us. I wanted her to sing a song, had her tell us a joke. And again, the other patron and I, the woman that was in that room with me, we were obviously uncomfortable. And I kept looking at the other patron and she refused to make eye contact with me. But I could tell that we were both uncomfortable. And because we had been in this this situation where like you follow the rules, you do what you're told, you don't touch. It just kept getting more and more uncomfortable. And this scene for me went on way 
way too long mm. because that scene was the scene that lingered the most. And I think because I, I and here, here's the thing, Mike, like was, was I supposed to, uh, I could speak up and eventually it became so uncomfortable that the other patron and I almost simultaneously said, stop it. This is not cool. Like just stop what you're doing. And what I tried to do was I tried to engage the guy. So what I was, I tried to distract him and he said like, Oh, well sing us a song. I was like, sing, sing, you know, sing us a song. And he, she's kind of like was crying. And, and so I turned to him and was like, Oh, wait, wait, you know what might be interesting? Ask her what her favorite song is. Tell her to sing her favorite song. And maybe, you could, and I, I was just trying to interact with the guy to distract him from the woman and the the female patron next to me was like this is not cool this needs to stop and we just it was just so unpleasant and i don't know what i was supposed to get from it am i supposed to be looking at how it made me feel like because the rest of the show didn't you know have that i i don't know it's i just literally was so confused by that sequence as to why i witnessed it and at the end the African-American woman, which we spoke about earlier, the beautiful one with the gold choker, uh, comes bursting in. Uh, Rizzo was there uh, as well. She came in, wanted to know what had happened, and apparently the counselor gentleman had done this repeatedly to other women. And this was like um, his method of operation. This is how he humiliates women and degrades them. And because she said, really? Like, this same old shtick? And she... Want, and she made a reference about the joke and said, you want to see a joke? And she pulled down his pants and exposed his genitalia, and which I think had to have been a prosthetic. <laughs> um, pushed him up against the wall and started to humiliate him, which at this point I was so disgusted by that whole sequence. It was like I paid... I li- I literally went to I paid how much money to witness this? So I was kind of involved in part of that. How so? Um, after from the from the lineup and I, I for again like the the it's a little foggy at the order of events. Um but Sky came back up to me and said, you know, that when once that happened, she's like we need to tell uh, the 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 woman I forget her the bald woman that you just described right. um, and it's like we need to tell her about him but I I'm not allowed to speak to her so you need to go with me to talk to tell her that he's he's doing this which ex- oh, okay that explains how um, you know uh, Rizzo who we both know ended up in that okay that makes <clears throat> sense and I believe that came up on the forums because I didn't know how they ended up bursting into that room yeah so I so I went out to the the bar area where she was told her like hey he's like do I guess he's doing what he usually does and she's like oh again like and then followed her back we got into like that hallway and like face the wall face the wall we're not allowed to look or something so I was facing the wall and Sky then told me that she and not not Sky but the the bald woman the shaped head woman and chancellor counselor controller whichever um used to date so there was like oh. some some issue, but here's the funny thing, and I don't know if she heard me, but Sky is the woman I just mentioned undressed and then said I was staring at her, blah blah blah. I called her a fucking liar, <laughs> like when we were standing against the wall, 
Like, and I don't know if she heard me, but like, th- but that should show you the kind of mindset I was in. I was like, I'm so over this. And I was like, you know, I didn't look at your chest. You're a fucking liar. And then all of a sudden I feel a hand on my shoulder and it's Mason and he pulls me back to the line. I think we went back to the line and he, and he said something like, consider this perks of the job. So like, who's who? Yeah. So who's like, that's the thing. I was like, what's the perk? Who's well, what's the job? Whose job? It, 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 does that mean he liked my resume and I'm hired his job that he has power and can just change things? Like, where was I supposed to go after the wall that he took me out of? You know, like there's, there's like things like that. So then we were standing there and he had his kind of like little like gimp slave boy. And he was on the floor with, with like, with uh, Mason's Rubik's cube. And Mason told me like, you own him now. And it's like, what? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then Mason and I had like a staring contest. He won the first round. And then the second round was, I guess, I don't know if it was a tie, but I didn't lose. I know that. Cause he kept saying like, Oh, you're getting better. Um, and then the gimp gimpy slave boy took me to the bathroom and told me I needed to undress and, you know, do some other stuff. And that if I didn't, I'd get in trouble, but he'd get in more trouble. And I'm just like, at, at this point, I'm wondering, like, okay, so if you're being I, if, blackmailed? What? No, like, I'm like, if I own you, why are you telling me what to do? Like, shouldn't I be telling you what to do? Like, so whatever. So I'm in the bathroom and I'm apparently being prepared for anointment. I was chosen. And at that point, Mason comes in and Sabrina comes in. So they're watching me, you know, do my thing. Um, Sabrina gives me an art project, which is one of the funnier things um, that happens. What? And, yeah, I'm not I'm not going into it if but if she's listening, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And the, so there was a, a little bit of a scene with Sabrina um, and she said something else to me that, again, I'm not going into. I promised her I wouldn't. But it like that part, it was it was it was great. Like that was one of the highlights of the show for me. Um, but again, was it a highlight because of what happened or was it a highlight because it's an, an emotionally invested character? You know, so there's a history there. Yeah, exactly. So like what, what made that? So, so that was good. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if you, if you know the, the anointment process, like I'm sure you've, you've read it, but at that point, like other participants came in and gave me compliments. Um, and like they rubbed my hands with this oil and it, it felt very similar to the school scene at the second part of Ascension where like the the handlers would tell you something about yourself like like and of course the easy one for me is i like your tattoos and you know stuff like that um which yeah i i don't know this because i didn't get that during the second ascension and and i didn't get any of that here so it's okay yeah i don't know um and so after that room i was brought into um anna's room and that's where she tells us about how her gift is she can read people and she read um read uh the person i was with who was also chosen chosen for anointment Um, and this was a female right? this was a female uh and then she read her and she actually started crying because it was so dead on wow um and then she read me and i was like yeah it's pretty accurate and but like the thing is like this was the only part in my mind that had any connection to to the data gathering because it's like no one is that good 
So you obviously have files on us. You, you know, because you've been given like the last two years of history on us about how we, what we say, what we think, how we feel. You're not reading us. You're just another pawn in the OSDM's game. That's how I took it. Okay. Um, so, you know, and maybe because I thought that like I had some sort of wall up and it didn't affect me the way it should have, but that's the way I saw it. Um, and then after that scene, we were led to the anointment part, um, and we were placed on a bed and there was a bunch of people, um, there. And I was just, I saw Stephanie and I just mad dogged her the whole time, you know, not in a, like, I hate you way, but just, a. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but she was the only person I recognized. So I locked in on her. Um, and then we met Cecilia finally, which, you know, I think we're getting ahead because I just want to finish. Like, okay. That's what she said. Um, so the, the, so here's the thing though. Like Cecilia was a character we didn't even know existed until two days prior because of the podcast interview. We didn't even know Noah had a mother. And then all of a sudden she's in this grand finale of this show which is like, okay, we didn't, we just found out your name yesterday, you know, like, and so that's kind of where, where it kind of like, yeah, it just like fell apart again for me. I, I won't go into the, the, the saves the day moment. I'll let, I'll leave that for you since you're, <laughs> I'm going too far ahead. Uh, no, that's, that's quite right. Because, um, I mean, you left me back in the bathroom. So, uh, <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> so when you, were instructed that you had to tell who was serving as the host to break in and interrupt the humiliation and degradation sequence in the bathroom. Uh, And see, I didn't go into the bathroom. Oh, you didn't? No, I was staying against the wall, and then that's when Mason took me back. Oh, I think that's how they got you onto that other track. Right. So um, Sabrina burst in, wanted to know what was going on, and she said, where's Russell? Because Sabrina was standing in the doorway, and the it's kind of hard to describe the layout of the bathroom. The bathroom had sort of a indentation, and I was literally standing out of sightline of the door. It was large enough. And so I stepped forward, and Sabrina led me out of the bathroom, down the hallway, and all the way back out to the bar area. Mm-hmm. And... When we got into the bar area, she changed character a bit. And she sort of became the Sabrina that I had interacted with through most of last year. Okay. And I have, I've talked to, you know, once or twice on a phone call this year. So she led me to the center of the floor, like between the singer area and the bar area. And um, she said, would you like to dance with me? Oh, which took me completely by surprise. And at this point, um, I had at this point taken off, like I, I wore like a jacket and a vest. I took the jacket off in the beginning I, and I had taken the vest off in the room, the dining room and the tie. And I was still literally carrying that with me. So we went, when we went to dance, <laughs> it became this weird, like I was still trying to like, like she you know, went into position and I stepped forward and I had the vest in my hand. Like it was just so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> it was so weird. I'd expect nothing less. And so I just took this, like, I took this moment. I went, ah, fuck it. 
And I took and I just threw my clothes, the the vest and the tie and what I had in my hands off toward the lounge area when we first came in. And I began dancing with her. And, you know, she she asked me how I was enjoying the night. And I told her, I said, I just, you know, I just saw something really, really disturbing. I've seen some really upsetting things. I don't know how I feel about this night. And it was just, it was just a moment of like awkwardness just cause I, I, you know, I didn't, I, I still have this weird feeling of like, I don't want to disappoint her. So uh, she looks at me, you know, and at this point, you know, I'd thrown the vest away and she sort of looks me up and down and says, you know, you've removed a couple of pieces of clothing. Do you think I should remove something? Oh, damn. And... I, can, I can hear like a cartoon like sound of like a growing thing. Like, you know, when people get bopped on the head and they get a bump, it's like, I'm picturing that sound happening right now. Well, and keep in mind, she was wearing, you know, the jacket and the bra underneath and, and the skirt. And and you were talking about how you have respect in awkward situations with women. Yeah. I said the most awkward, I'm sure it came out really weird, but I said, like, I believe that, uh, wait, how did, it's something along the lines of said that um, that would always be a woman's choice to disrobe in front of a man. It shouldn't be the man's choice. So I put it back on her and she reached down. And she unbuttoned her jacket and she slipped the jacket off and she threw the jacket aside like I had thrown the vest aside. And she put her hands back up and we began to dance. This is this weird thing like, Mike, I don't know what I was feeling in this moment. Oh, I'm pretty sure I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I was emotional. It's like, and really for the first time during the entire event, I was actually present and emotional except I wasn't present either because I became really jumbled in my head and here's the thing you know like the the hashtag missed opportunities has come up several times uh during the course of this year Mm -hmm. in that moment I didn't want to talk about OSDM I didn't want to talk about data mining I didn't want to talk about the room that we were standing in and what it meant for her. And I think the opportunity was there for me to ask questions. Dude, just enjoy the moment. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. So I looked down at her and she's, you know, she's standing in this pool of light or we are because we're dancing. And, you know, later, actually the Lust Experience Instagrammed this moment, they took a picture of it from afar and they Instagram this moment. And, um, I just looked down and I very sincerely, I looked down at her and I said, you are so beautiful. And she leaned in and she put her head on my shoulder. Oh, killing me smalls. (laughs) And she said, 
you're beautiful to me. And that was that moment, man. I mean, I'm surprised Les didn't have like Kenny Rogers playing. (laughs) Um, I just, I just had no urge to talk about anything specific. I had no urge to, to, Oh, I know the urges you had. Uh, (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, and it, it's, we just had that moment. Like that was it. We had that moment and it was wonderful. And then she kind of pulled away from me and she picked up her jacket and she said, would would you, would you help me with this please? And I helped her slip back into her jacket and she had me button it for her and, and she turned and she led me back into the show and we didn't speak at that point. It was just like, she just led me back to the group. And here's the weird thing, Mike, about that sequence. It felt like goodbye. Oh, weird. I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know if I'm interpreting it weirdly, but you know that moment in a relationship or a friendship where you just kind of go, this is over. Yeah, the one you never get the hint of with me. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) So, yeah, it just, it was this really weird. And when I went back into that room, um, the African-American woman uh, was asking questions of the group or something, and she was making judgment calls about people. I I literally was so flummoxed at that point. I wasn't, I I don't know exactly what I walked back into, but she looked over at me and she looked at me and she said, and you, you are way too fully clothed. (laughs) And she very gave, she gave me a very stern look. And so I took my shirt off at that point. We were led into a small room, which it sounds like you probably never saw. It's a room with a character named Rico or a gentleman named Rico. No, but I've heard the name. Again, just a really unpleasant room. So we walked in, we were sat down. Rico was this very energetic, frantic, like... Uh, somebody else said that he had been doing coke. I don't think I witnessed that. If he did it as part of the part of the conversation, I never witnessed that because uh, he insisted that we were going to play a drinking game. And so he was talking about how expensive the liquor was that they provided at this party. And like, he was kind of like, oh, this, this bottle, this bottle is so expensive. You won't believe how much this costs. And he, we're going to play a drinking game with it. And so every, he was started to distribute glasses and everything. And then I was called out of the room by the African-American woman. And I was stepped into the hallway. And the Japanese woman who was, the counselor was humiliating in the bathroom. Mm-hmm almost attacked me and she came up and she was clutching at me and grabbing me and speaking obviously in a language I don't understand. And the African American woman kept uh, saying things like, what did you do to her? I don't understand what she's saying. Like, like, what did you do? I don't understand. It's like, what have you done in a very accusatory toward me? And I am frantically looking around and I'm trying to like, like get some distance between me and the Japanese woman And I am looking around and I just so happened to glance down the hallway 
and the counselor was in the corner of the end of the hallway, almost cowering. It was a very weird, and I and I looked at him, and I turned back to the African-American woman, and I said, uh, all I did was I tried to defend her against him. I was trying to distract him. I, I said something along those lines, and this absolutely infuriated her. She became livid with me. Oh, wow. And she looked at me, and she, she just said, don't you ever. And the Japanese woman is still, you know, going on and all this. I think she said, engage them. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she said, get back in there. And she threw me back in the room with Rico. But here's the thing. I, I have absolutely no, no idea what that scene was about. I have no idea what, what, what hmm. was I supposed to give a different answer? Was I, I don't know. I, I, I was a, that scene makes no sense to me. Other than to put me in my place? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a weird one. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what I was supposed to get out of it. I, 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 but that scene ended and I felt like I had done something wrong. Like I had, and I don't mean I had done something wrong. I felt like I had given the wrong answer. And that that's why I got thrown in again with Rico is because I hadn't, it felt like, like in an escape room when you fail to unlock something. Which right. Which again was a moment that kind of took me out of the show. I don't know that moment. <laughs> thank you very much you've never seen me get confused in an escape room <laughs> but it, it just again it was it was a moment that kind of took me out of the show because it was so ridiculously confusing to me and then i got thrown back in the room with rico and at this point rico the drinking game i guess had progressed a little bit and rico was talking about um how any request that we wanted to make they would somehow provide and the the boy that I guess was in service to you at some point, mm-hmm. I think he was also in service to Rico. Okay, because he had a character like that, and unfortunately, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on that person's name. Um, but he brought in a a piece of meat, and he said, you know, they they brought this for you, and Rico kind of freaked out a little bit in a happy way, and was like, I can't believe it. This this is what I'm talking about. It's like, what would you like? And somebody said, like, I'd like a. 18 year old blonde and Rico was like oh you want younger than that don't you you know like that kind oh, wow. of thing uh, very lascivious very very you know just very primal in everything that he expressed so this plate of meat and at this point I had been led back in by the African American woman and there's no place to sit so I sat on the floor next to a chair and uh, he said do you know what this is and we were all like, no. He's like, this is elephant dick. <laughs> I told them I wanted elephant dick, and they got me elephant dick. And so he cuts off a piece of the meat, and he says, do you want to try some? Do you want to try some? And like, uh, okay, whatever. And because I was on the floor, he held the the meat above me, and sort of like I like almost as if I'm a dog. Right. And he said, here, you taste this. And then he pulled it away from me. You know, as I was trying to take a bite of it, and he, they were laughing, and he was kind of mocking me for that, and and then eventually I took a, a bite of it, and how did it taste? Uh, it, it tastes like uh, summer sausage. Oh, hmm. So Hickory Farms summer sausage is what it tasted like exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so um, you heard it here first. Uh, yes, 
I should have just said tastes like chicken, but. <laughs> uh, so at this point, someone informed um, Rico that the television had been fixed. Now, during this entire sequence, we'd walked into this room and there was a TV screen on the wall. And it had a still, and I, I immediately was like, okay, I don't recognize the version, but I recognize the character, I thought. And the character was Quasimodo. And I was like, why would he be watching, you know, The Hunchback of Notre Dame or, you know, (laughs) like it just seemed like a really odd and it was it was a freeze frame the entire sequence. So when he was informed that the TV was still working, he hit play and actually the camera zooms out. And what it is, is this really bizarre porn movie where Quasimodo is like surrounded by a couple of naked women and they have sex. And Rico decides that we need to all get naked and masturbate together. (laughs) So he strips off his clothes and is fondling himself and goes running out of the room. And then what happens is Sabrina walks into the room and says, where's Rico? And we, the people kind of explain like, well, he kind of left and um, we're just here watching porn awkwardly. And she flips the TV over to a series of security cameras And says, what is this? Why are we so late? Why are we running so far behind? This is ridiculous. And she gathers all of us and leads us to that final area that you were talking about where the anointment ceremony was going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's where she leads us to. Okay. All right. So we walk in. The guy who we knew last year's Tom Barrow is like checking all of us out. Uh, that whole sequence plays out where he's like Stephanie looks at all of us to see if he wants to know if he if she recognizes any of us. It, it was all kind of confusing at that point. Yeah, I didn't even know he was there. So um, really? Yeah. Was he not at your show? I don't know. If he was, I didn't see him. Oh wow! If he, if he was only in that end scene, then I wouldn't have seen him because you could. I can only see like because the lights were on, um, like on you, so I can only see like the people immediately in front of me. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Um, so Stephanie, who was one of the handlers from you know Ascension last year, uh, pulls me aside and she said, "Russell, meet me at the doorway." Now, there was some cloth hanging along the wall. So what I did is I was like, okay. And I slipped behind the cloth and just waited. And eventually, Stephanie made her way to the door, opened the door. I slid out. Stephanie slips out behind me. And she says, I don't know what the hell is going on. She said, Sabrina is walking around here like she owns the goddamn place. I don't understand what her attitude is about. I don't understand anything that's going on. And I don't understand, like, nothing that I do is appreciated. And she goes off in this tangent about how underappreciated she says sabrina gets a movie i get spreadsheets (laughs) she's talking about that that she doesn't understand she's unhappy and then and i've i know several people witnessed stephanie i get the the common term i guess we use is glitch she sort of restarted on me and started on a different tangent and then she sort of glitched again and started talking about something and then she turns to me and she looks at me like, she doesn't know me, and she goes, hi, I'm Stephanie. That's what Sabrina did last year. Exactly. So Stephanie got the helmet, probably. That's exactly what I wanted to point out, is Stephanie's behavior with me in that hallway is exactly how 
Addison slash Sabrina behave last year, the night that I saw them put the helmet on her. And so here's the mind blowing part of this for me. Stephanie glitches again, sort of. And she's like, Russell, I said, yes, it's me. It's like, you know me. And she comes in and she starts to hug me. Mm -hmm. And she says, oh, Russell, you are so beautiful. There's the Kenny Rogers. That's exactly what I said to Sabrina at the beginning of our dance. Mm. I said that to Sabrina and now Stephanie said it to me. They got wireless technology. I, I don't, this was really weird when it happened. And so I hugged Stephanie and I, and when she said that to me, I kind of pushed her cause her head was on my shoulder. So I kind of pushed her away and I said, you're beautiful which is the exact exchange, except we changed roles yeah, that yeah. I had with Sabrina. So I thought that was bizarre. Now, she said that we needed to go back into the room. And I went back into the room and everyone was sort of mingling. And I wound up on a sofa with a woman who like, you know, like motioned for me to sit next to her. And she said, like, so, uh, look, you know, I'm working here. Not, not a great job. I was one of the handlers in Ascension. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't recognize you, but I really didn't interact with the handlers in Ascension very much at all. And she was like, well, how much of a perv are you? You're here. And I said, oh, I have a little perv in me. And she was like, oh, it's written all over you. Like, <laughs> I can tell. So we had that. And then she eventually like pulls me off the sofa and there's a mattress in the corner of the room. When I laid down on the mattress, she told me to just stay there. And then she walked away. And at this point, I was so just confused by everything. And I think I was enjoying it probably more than you say that you did. But I still was just kind of like, what's the point of all this? And so I'm kind of just looking around at other people interacting with other people. And I notice Mason begins to cross the room and Mason and I made eye contact and I sort of pointed at him and he stood near the head of the bed, looking down on me for a moment or two. I, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like gestured at him <laughs> I don't know. It, it's like he he looked at me like like somebody looking at a lab rat is kind of the like what I felt from him. But he, I thought he was like he looked curious, but he you know he uh, it was a very odd unspoken exchange. And so I looked up at him and I said uh, something along the ways of, um, "Look, sir, there is no way you can know." exactly how exactly why like but you have been an influence on my life for several weeks now and i just want to say it would be an honor to shake your hand right now and he looked a little confused <laughs> and i did not move my hand i i waited for him and he looked down at my hand and he sort of started to extend his hand and so we shook and he asked me a question. He got a little closer to me. He kneeled down and he got closer to me and he said, are you, you? 
And for some reason, it made perfect sense to me. So wait, wait, is this in the ceremony room still? Uh, yes. Okay. It's in the opposite corner from the, the bed with the lights on it. So was all this happening while the ceremony was starting? No, this was before the ceremony. Oh, wow. Because people were mingling. And so he looked down, he, he knelt down and he asked me that question, are you you? And I said, no, not yet. I, I, I'm, I'm working on me. All right. I answered something along those lines and I wasn't sure what to say to him. And I just, I was kind of flummoxed. And he said, you need to know, you should realize that I have ways of understanding much more than you think. And I was like, okay. And I tried to express, I was like, look, you know, like the video you made, the, like the, the, the breakdown of factions, like the, your behavior, your demeanor, the integrity you seem to have, like, it's like all of that, the genuineness of when you appeared, like, it's like, even if I disagree, like, and I literally <laughs> was just probably saying gibberish at that point. And I became frustrated and I said, I am not expressing this well. And he got angry and he said, don't, don't do that. You keep working, keep going. And like, until you become you. Sounds like there's a new spot for Mason that replaced Sabrina on your crush list. Uh, I have a complete crush on Mason. <laughs> He was mine first. <laughs> but but the way that he influenced you is partially why I feel this way. I don't know. It just there was something about the way he affected things, including you. I just wanted to see death and destruction, man. Like that's it. I saw and, beyond that. And he seemed to be the one that was doing it. He was, you know, like he was action and not talk. But, Which we've had a lot of talk this year. Yeah, but unfortunately, he's just like everyone else. I don't know. I don't know. But for some reason, in that moment, I connected with him. And during the entire show, other than that moment with Sabrina, that's the only other moment that I felt a sincere connection to anybody was that moment with Mason, where he just said, like, keep going, keep working. Because it's the only time anyone in that entire event, other than maybe Morgan, seemed to be concerned. Right. About me or connect or want to connect with me because he seemed genuine. Sabrina seemed genuine. No one else seemed genuine to me. Mm -hmm. So he held out his hand and he helped me get up off the mattress and he led me over to the anointment scene. And that's when that scene sequence began. Okay. With Cecilia talking. Right. Who is Noah Sinclair's mother. Right. Who we just found out about like a few days before. Right. So, and she basically said that, and again, I was so flummoxed by the whole Mason exchange <laughs> that Cecilia kind of, you know, I, I know that there was supposed to be this ceremony where the two people on the bed, which at this point we should clarify, I guess you were one of the people on the bed mm -hmm. for your show, um, that they basically needed to make a baby. Right. And the moon had aligned, we're, all the signs were aligned, that this was the night this was supposed to happen. We were going to create Anok. And then that whole sequence, Mike, for me, played like a really awkward sitcom. Yeah. Because we were all, like, two people were on the bed, 
And, you know, the guy was covered partially by a towel. The woman still had, like, leggings on, and she was covered. Cecilia sat down next to her and said, hey, if you have any questions, like, we're right here for you. Go to it. And Sabrina was sitting in the chair on the opposite side of the bed, and, and it just went, this seems so comical. Mm-hmm. It seemed ridiculous. Well, I mean, at this point, I have to question OSDM as a whole because this is the second time they chose me. Like they first tried to sacrifice me to get an Oracle. Now they want to me to help create Anok and I failed both times. So I think they need to look at other people because I'm obviously not OSDM material. <laughs> I can't create things. Uh, well, and it just it just felt very awkward And then Noah Sinclair breaks in at the end and gives this speech about, you know, uh, you know, and and during all this, like we were instructed to kneel at the foot of the bed, you know, and, uh, you know, we were supposed to pay tribute to the two people on the bed. And uh, it, it felt like this weird ceremony, but it just felt comical to me. And then Noah burst in and, you know, said something along the, you know, he, he went on this speech about, this is not the way you create a savior. It's like, this is a joke. Two people screwing. And then he mocked the guy for not being hard. You know, he, it's just like all of this other stuff. And and Noah came in and was the hero of this shenanigan <laughs> by saying like, no, you people don't get it. It comes from sacrifice and hard work. And it, they, they posted a quote later where from him that says, a true savior would come from loving someone so much that you fucking hate them half the time. At that point, he turned like he walks through the crowd, the group of us at the foot of the bed, and Sarah is standing there, and they hug and embrace, and apparently they they dip and like that's the happy ending, and then we get ushered out of the room, except for one thing. During that last moment between Sarah and Noah in my show, I look up and I see Mason crossing the room directly at me. And we make eye contact and he holds out his hand and I just reflex held out my hand and he pushes a Rubik's cube (laughs) into my hand and he looks at me and he nods and I nod back and I got it. And it's what he said to me is like, work in progress, keep working. Hmm. Again, that was one of the most well, one of the few sincere moments in my whole show. That's awesome. And again, that's what I said. It's like, like right now, the one connection I feel is of all people to Mason, and I've barely made a connection with it. Now you get it. I do. I except not to the degree that I think you did. <laughs> but you know, and, and I, I just, I am. So we walk back, and and you know, we leave the, we get our clothes that had been collected for us and thrown into a box. Um, and, and we left the building, but how, how did that final sequence play out for you? The same, except I had a different angle. So here's, except, except I didn't have Sarah. And if I did, if Sarah was Sinclair was there, I didn't see her because mm. of my viewing angle. Okay. And for me watching someone that I knew on that bed you know, almost naked in my show was just like, it made me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt really pulled out because I was wondering what they felt. And I wasn't like, did they feel 
because they looked awkward. Right. And that it just it again, it was one of those things that really pulled me out of the show. Just like the whole potential nudity, et cetera, of that sequence really pulled me out of the show. Yeah, no, that's totally understandable. And again, it just, it just, uh, yeah, it just didn't really work for me. Yeah, it just gets boring. Yeah, it, 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 much of this show I thought was very uninteresting. And also with people I really didn't care for. Yeah. And here's the thing. If I hadn't paid, uh, what, $130? What, I don't remember what the ticket was. Something like that. If I hadn't paid that, this is a party I would have left. Yeah. I was... Actually, I was thinking the same thing after the the phone situation. Like, it, well, it's like, well, there's still probably another hour or so. So I paid for it. May as well see what else is going to happen. Right. Yeah, which is disappointing because I, you know, I, I have been hoping for more from the Lust Experience all year. And I, I was really hoping that this was going to be it. And it, it didn't do much for me. Yeah. And it, it makes me wonder where the story is going to go from this point. Because I felt like the the anointment didn't really have anything to do with the previous few months. Like maybe like a couple of points, like the trying to conceive a child and ceremonies and stuff that like that Andrew um, or Drew uh, stumbled upon. Right. But you know, one, one point in all of this time, it's like, where is this going to go now? Like is, I, I don't know. And again, it seems odd that, you know, like I had made a connection of uh, a minor connection with Joyce yeah. And she wasn't around and yet she had appeared in the video where all the walls came down. So, you know, that struck me as odd. You know, and and what and you know, with all the data stuff and the i confidant stuff, you know, is like spoiler alert, um at the last show apparently Sabrina is pregnant um with Anok. Um like are they going to implant Anok with all of our data? You know, is like is it going to go that way? You know, it's just like where is this going to sure. go? Yeah. yeah, it was rhetorical. But. Uh, <laughs> you know me; I always answer rhetorical questions. Uh, and also, I'm not exactly sure why we were there. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, other than that, we were supposed to see how horrible the people were. But yeah, it just it it's the whole thing struck me as being weird, and off kilter, and and not much fun. Yeah, and for. All of that talk about sex, like around the dining room, not very sexy. Mm-hmm. So earlier we talked, um, you know, about Night Shift and you were saying how, you know, you want to go and give them another chance to see what they would be capable of. Like mm-hmm. at this point, after going through anointment, if tickets went on sale tomorrow for another event, would you go? Wow. That's a really hard question. Lust. Well, it, it becomes like, you know, if. Hey, if Mason were there, yes, but I have no guarantee of that, you know, because right. that that's the most interesting character for me right now. And because of, you know, the one of the two most interesting moments in this sequence. But but look, you know, I this is the second event where I walked away extremely disappointed. My second time through Ascension last year was a major disappointment to me, mm-hmm. um, except for one sequence. And this was a disappointment to me. So I'm not sure where I stand. Right. I'll have to see how the story continues to develop. I'll keep checking on the ARG stuff. But yeah, I want to be more enthused than I am right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would like to be more enthused. Than you I can't am. force it, though. And, I, and there are several times this year when I have really tried to force it. So 
let me ask the same question of you. If if another event comes very quickly, would you buy a ticket for it? You know, I think it, it really depends, you know, kind of like what you said, like, will it be something similar? Will it be based on story? Like, uh, unfortunately, we will never know those answers before the event happens. So probably not. Like, you know, I would wait for reviews to come out and see. Right. Because it it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. It just, it, I don't know. You can cut all those I don't knows out. There's no point to having those. No, no, that's um, that's that's how you feel. But but also, it just it seems odd to me that people who made multiple trips to Ascension, like things changed, and it sounds like they dumped a bunch of information on people the second time they went through this event. But, yeah, it's kind of like a pay to play. Yeah, and and I felt like well, my second time through Ascension did not pay off well for me. And so that's why I didn't buy a second ticket to this, you know, not, not at that high a price range. So I missed out on part of the show because I'm not willing to pay double the price. It just, there's a lot of weirdness right now that I'm feeling over this whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll still continue to see what's going to happen and follow the AOG and all that fun stuff. Um, and if you would like to do that as well, you can go to thelustexperience.com, check out the forums and the link to the Slack channel on there. On Facebook, The Lust Experience. On Instagram, The Lust Experience. And on Twitter, Lust underscore experience. So yeah, so that's everything we've done since the last podcast. Uh, yeah, it's uh, been an interesting holiday season. Yeah, it's that's crazy. Sure. It's crazy how much gets in the way, like holidays and you were f- traveling and I was out of town for almost a full month. Yeah. What a quiet month. (laughs) Did you miss me? (laughs) Anyways, so if you'd like to (laughs) contact us, uh, Mike at myhauntlife.com or Russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and three L's. Uh, And you ruined it. No one listens. No one pays attention. (laughs) Fine. Russell with two S's and two L's uh, at myhauntlife.com. Uh, you can find us on the web at myhauntlife.com and on Facebook and all the social media at myhauntlife or leave us a text or voicemail on the hotline, 515-HAUNT-LA. Uh, so be safe. Have a happy new year because we're recording this before new year. Not sure if it'll be out before new year, but if it is, hope you had a good new year. Happy 2018 and all that fun stuff. See you in the next year. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. Get out. Mm. We're done for now. Remind me that I might want I might want to insert something. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> yeah. mm. <laughs>